October 5th, 2019, my little brother passed away. Everything changed for me that day. I remember driving five hours back home. I stopped to get coffee in the morning and the world just looked different. People looked different. And no one there knew what I was going through and I didn't know what they were going through and I, w I was conscious of that. But it was like for so long I was seeing the world in black and white and for the first time I was seeing color. A few months later I opened up about how I was feeling to the world I guess, to, to my world anyway. Now I remember sitting at a bar for someone else's birthday, drinking a whiskey sour, friends all around me, but feeling like I was all alone. And I just sat there, reading messages from strangers opening up about death and loss and pain. And it was one of the most powerful moments of my life. My pain, my loss, that was the thing that brought me closer to other people. That was the thing that brought others closer to me. This episode, Lewis House, New York Times bestselling author, School of Greatness podcast host, former professional football player, and many, many, many other things. After football was over and that kind of identity, I realized it was dead. Like I had to figure out, well, who am I now? My whole life was evolved around being the best in sports and being an All-American and, and in college and then being a professional athlete. And then when that ended through to an injury, I was like, what do I do with the rest of my life? Like, what's my purpose? I had no clue. I remember just saying to myself, how do I live life like a sport? Because this is all I know is sports. If life is a sport, what do I need? Well, you cannot be great without a great coach. So I started instantly looking for mentors and reaching out to people that I already knew, former you know, heads of my school, people I respected, former athletes that had a business. I just started asking everyone questions. I had three mentors that really guided me. One said, I was like, I'm broke. I'm living on my sister's couch for a year and a half. I go, I don't know what to do. He goes, have you heard of LinkedIn? I go, no. He said, you should get on LinkedIn. This is back in end of 2007. And there was like 15 million people on the platform. It was just beginning, essentially. And he said, you should check out LinkedIn. I hear people are getting jobs there. And that's all I needed. I said, okay, for the next six months, I spent six hours a day on LinkedIn, obsessing over connecting with people because a mentor that I trusted said, do this thing. And I became the authority on how to use LinkedIn over the next couple of years. Pause. This interview is significant to me because I got my start on LinkedIn of all platforms. Back when I was starting, you mentioned social media and everybody thought of YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat, literally anything and everything that was not LinkedIn. That's what people thought of. You know, so there weren't there wasn't a lot of activity when I started. When you look at video creators, there were literally I could count them all on two hands. That's how little activity was happening on LinkedIn in terms of video when I was getting started. So I I sat down you know, and I looked at, okay, who's built influence, built a business on the backbone of LinkedIn, but then ascended that platform? Who's done that? And Lewis Howes was one of the only people on that list. Because again, not a lot of people were using it. And he's someone that I just, I studied and still study to this day. So that's what I really want to dig into.
I went all in and I learned quickly how to message someone on LinkedIn and nine out of 10 times get a reply from any person I wanted through trial and error and just understanding what makes people tick and what people want because I knew what I wanted. And so I would just think if I was in this position, what would I want to read and what would make me want to reply? So I really just started to study people. And as a kid, when you don't have friends, the thing that you do is you watch. You watch and listen. And I observed people all day long for years because no one would hang out with me. So I would watch their mannerisms. I would watch their body language. I would watch how they spoke, how they would react. I would just observe. And it's funny. I realized that that was probably the greatest skill that I ever learned how to do growing up because I learned older in life that when I started hosting these networking events in person, I would almost say nothing ever, but I would ask interesting questions. And people would always leave these events and saying, man, that Lewis guy is like the most interesting guy in the room. And I never said anything. It was like, I would, I never said anything. I just listened to people and try to make them feel good about themselves. Pause. In terms of not talking to people, not having any friends, using athletics as an outlet, that was my life as well. I was super quiet. Didn't really talk to anyone. I was that kid in the back, like writing poetry, writing songs. Um, but more importantly, as he mentioned, and similar for me, I was I was watching people. You know, and if you look at marketing, you look at brand, like I see all these posts, I see all this content out there that's like, yeah, here's this tip, here's this tip, here's this tip. But at the basic, on the basic level, all it is is human behavior. It's understanding people, understanding behavior, understanding psychology. Now, Lewis also mentions that he was told often that he was the most interesting person in the room, even though all he was doing was listening and asking questions and showing interest and connecting people. And I'm like big into human behavior. And there there are times where I'm just curious and I'll go to like a networking event. Definitely not now because it's COVID, but <laughs> pre-COVID, I would go to a networking event and just mirror people all day. Now, mirroring is a concept that was, I think, popularized by Chris Voss. Um, he may have came up with it, but I'm pretty sure it was just popularized by Chris Voss. And basically, mirroring is, is repeating back key phrases that people say back to them during conversation. So let's say I walk up to someone, we start having a conversation, and she starts telling me about her book. She's like, I'm writing a book. And I said, you're writing a book? And I repeat that back to her. And then I just pause. And I listen. She's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a book about personal branding and human behavior. And I say personal branding and human behavior. Yeah, I really want to dig into what brand sounds like and how people react to specific content when they hear it. It's repeating those, those key phrases that are typically at the end of sentences, at least that's how he explains it. But when you get really good at it, you can repeat anything that you heard throughout the sentences. It was an interesting childhood, I'll say, because my one of my first memories is a memory of me getting raped by a man that I didn't know. It's one of the first memories I have as a five-year-old boy. Four years later, my brother went to prison for selling drugs to an undercover cop. He got caught up in the war against drugs in the 90s. And so as an eight-year-old, I wasn't really allowed to hang out with friends for the next four years because in a small town, in a small neighborhood, everyone knows everyone's business. 
I just always felt very insecure. I felt very less than all my peers, my friends, my family. I just didn't feel like people understood me. When I was 13, I begged my parents to send me away. Most kids get sent away for being bad. I begged them to send me away to a private boarding school. And I lived in a dorm for the next five years, from eighth grade to my senior year. I started to become extremely talented in sports because I focused all my anger from being horrible in school to taking it out afterwards. So that became my identity for the next really eight years, high school into college and then playing arena football for a year and a half until I got injured. What I realized is after I was done playing football is that I didn't have an outlet to express my defensiveness or anger anymore from all the hurt pain, uh, less than feelings of childhood. And so my late 20s was, was a challenging time. When I hit 30, I kind of had like a perfect storm situation in my life where I was in a relationship that wasn't going well. I was in a business partnership that wasn't going well. And I started to take all my anger out on during pickup basketball games, outdoor pickup basketball games. I would go play pickup basketball a lot because I needed this like physical outlet. And I ended up getting in a fight, a fist fight in the middle of, you know, uh, West Hollywood uh, basketball courts one day. And it was, it was pretty bad. It was a pretty bad fight. And I remember going home afterwards, shaking looking myself in the mirror. I was like, who are you? What are you doing? Like, what's wrong with you? I had this kind of moment where I was like, everything felt like it was falling apart emotionally in my life with my relationships and with my relationship with myself. But on the outside, everything was succeeding. You know, I was making more money. I was accomplishing things. But on the inside, I was suffering. After a career-ending injury ruined his hopes for playing in the NFL, our next guest spent two years broke and living on his sister's couch. What happened next is unbelievable. Within a few years, he was making millions of dollars and helping others achieve their dreams through his book and podcast, The School of Greatness. Please welcome Lewis Hout. But I had an awakening. I was like, okay, I'm going to continue suffering inside for the rest of my life until I figure out what this is. And I started going to a lot of emotional intelligence workshops. And in this one workshop I did, it was a five-day workshop, very intense, going through all of our kind of past and our situations, letting go of the past. For whatever reason, whether it be the environment or just everyone else was opening up and being vulnerable, that I felt safe enough, that I said to myself, if I don't share this right in this moment, I probably won't share it at all for the rest of my life. And maybe this is part of the thing that's holding me back. Maybe it's not. But I was willing to say, I'll go anywhere and everywhere to try things out. And so I stood up in the room, and for the first time, I walked through the entire story about being five, being raped in a bathroom. I ran out of the room after sharing it right afterwards. I was bawling. I couldn't hold it back. One of the most beautiful things in my life happened a few minutes later. I felt a tap on my shoulder. And it was this man who like turned me around, looked me in the eyes. He's crying. It's probably like a 55, 60-year-old man. And he goes, I have three kids and a wife. They don't know. This happened to me when I was 11. And I was like, wow. And we had a moment. We hugged. He was like, you're my hero. I've never had the courage to do what you just had the courage to do. Now I'm going to go tell my wife. Then one by one, there's probably like 20, 25 men in the room. They all came out. 
and they all told me their story for the first time. They said things like, I'll follow you anywhere for the rest of my life. I trust you more than ever now. You're so courageous. Like, I, I believe in you more. And I remember I did a uh, an episode on my show. It's still the most downloaded episode I've ever done in almost eight years. And I opened up about it publicly. And it was a... It was one of the craziest reactions I've ever seen because for weeks I got hundreds of essays from men telling me their entire story and they'd never shared it with anyone before. Pause. We all have it, you know, that thing, that thing that we fear the most. We don't want to open up about it. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to share it. We're afraid to. What are people going to think of us? No one else has ever said anything like this. I don't think anyone else has said anything like this. What will my parents think? What will my friends think? What will my job think? What will my, my employees think? We all have that thing. But that thing that we fear the most often turns out to be the thing that people need to hear the most. And that thing that we share once we share it, we realize that that was the thing that was holding us back from ascending our limitations all along. Quentin. Yeah. Not Quentin. You're the only person that ever noticed that I said it like that. Yeah, it's Quentin, but everyone says Quentin. No, but it's Quentin. <laughs> no, it's important. It's important that people know how to say your name. I agree. If people don't know how to say your name, then how can they truly see you? How can they truly connect to you? 